Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. Why are we the first front in this battle? We all have our own dying family members to worry about. Where's your family? And it, it turned, turns out that his, his wife was on some extended European vacation, and he did not want to bother her, and he didn't want to make his kids sad. So what are we going to tell them? Just us. We get to carry the weight of this thing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. And today we have another episode in the series we're calling Return to the Soup, in which we feature a memorable soup story and explore various questions with the storyteller. Before we get started, though, we want to thank our sponsor, Park School, which is a pre-K through grade 12 school located just outside of Baltimore. And today on Return to the Stoop, we have Kevin Hoffman, who is, um, well, currently you are the Chief Financial Officer of um, Conscious Corner. In addition, you are a friend of mine from childhood and an ex-boyfriend and a friend. So went from friend to ex-boyfriend, nope, friend to boyfriend to ex-boyfriend to friend. That is true. And that is, that's all very relevant to the story. That's not, not at the story. Not at all. I just want everyone to know that. And then, uh, but we're going to hear your story uh, that you told on the Stoop stage at when we were at Center Stage in Baltimore in 2009. Holy cow. That's going way back. So let's listen to Kevin Hoffman's story. The show was called You Want Fries With That? And it was all stories about jobs and work. And this one was a doozy. Back in the mid 90s, I worked for a a small biotechnology company. We manufactured diagnostic test kits to test people for infectious disease. And we have... We, <laughs> you're going to make me fuck up. Yeah. We had recently been purchased by another company out of the northeastern United States, and we had about 15 employees, one of which was Mark, the previous owner who had stayed on, and the person that the new company had in, installed as our leader, George. George was 65 years old. He, he lived up in Massachusetts with his wife, and he had some grown kids throughout the, the country. He would fly down on, on Monday and fly back up on Thursday or Friday to be with her. He was, he was a smart man. He had two PhDs. He had a long and successful career in the industry. He was about six, four, 300 pounds, big guy. He was boisterous, jovial, arrogant man. He, um, <laughs> everything was always about George and loudly. And one, one time he, he flew down here and arrived at the office drenched from head to toe in sweat and in a lot of pain. It started in his knee and moved its way up to his neck. Something was wrong, but we, uh, why, why did he fly here? Why didn't he stay home and go to the doctor? But here, here he was. And he just deteriorated. He was just not getting any better. He, it just quickly became the, the focus of our jobs to take care of George, to make sure that he got to and from work and that he had food and drink and was comfortable. Uh, we did get him to see one doctor that, for one opinion, and 
we had this big company meeting one day. We're all in there. George and Mark are up there, and, and, and George says this doctor has taken some scans of his, his spinal column. And uh, spinal column. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he thinks he has spinal cancer, and he's not going to live very long. It's uh, horrible. And George is crying, and we're all upset. But wait a second. What? Why are we the first front in this battle? We all have our own dying family members to worry about. Where's your family? And it, it turned, turns out that his, his wife was on some extended European vacation, and he did not want to bother her, and he didn't want to make his kids sad, so he wasn't going to tell them. Just us. We get to carry the weight of this thing. And so soon after that meeting, next to his desk appears this big reclining lazy boy chair that he had, had delivered from his apartment because now, very rationally, George has decided he's, he's going to move into the office. <laughs> this is a business park in Columbia. There's nobody there at night except for George in his chair moaning. And at, and at that point, this, the spectrum of things that we, we had to do for George had started to, to widen a little bit. I am, I, am, I am washing his testicles in the office shower. And we, we, we're having to, to empty his, his bedpan. It's crazy, and this is, goes on for week after week, and, and no one believes that it is happening to us. We call up to the, we would call the, 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 the parent company and say, George has moved into the office, and he's dying, and he won't go. Help! And they would, they would say, they would say, can't be that bad, get back to work. And we, so, one time, it was, it was my turn to put the, the salve on George's now, for some reason, very swollen foot. I, no, normally, George's foot was pretty big, but now it's fucking huge and bright red, and all the skin is peeling off the top. It looks like it's on fire, and I don't know what to do with a foot like that. You, you know, do you poke a little hole and let it dribble out slowly, or I'll cut the whole thing open and let it pour into a bowl. I don't know. And so I, so I look up at him, and I, and I say, George, that's going to fall off. I don't know what to do here. This is not, I've not been trained to deal with this. Look, here's my training file. Nothing about a swollen foot. And, but I do know of a place where there are a lot of people that have the knowledge and the expertise to help you with your problems. Why, why don't you go to a hospital? And, and he, he, I'll never forget. He says, Kevin, come closer. Because I'm down by his foot. And he can't speak loudly anymore because every minor vibration from his vocal cord is sending waves of pain through his body. And I get up there and he says, Kevin, I will not go to a hospital because people get sick in hospitals. And it kind of threw me off a little. I, I, I wanted to state the obvious. George, you get any sicker, you are going to be dead. But I, I didn't say that because you want to be comforting to someone in that position. You, I just said something like, that sounds reasonable. You're the boss, keep paying me. And went back to putting the ointment on his foot. But it's at that point, though, we just realized there was nothing we could do except wait for something terrible to happen. And lucky for us, about, about a week later, I, I come into work and I'm walking down this one hallway that leads directly to George's office. And as I'm getting closer, he's sprawled out on his chair, and he looks worse than I'd ever seen him. Looks to me like he's no longer amongst the living. But I hear voices down the hall, so I go there, and I find Pam, the head of research and development, and the ex-wife of Mark, previous owner, which is a different story. But she, I, I say to her, do we need to dispose of that body? And she said, no, no, he's not dead yet. 
But what, what had apparently happened was that the night before, remember, George is there by himself at night. He had wanted to do something other than sit on his chair. And in order to do that, he would need to get from the lazy boy to the office maneuvering vehicle, which is just one of those regular office chairs with wheels. And because that's what we pushed him around and we weren't, we weren't equipped to deal with a dying man on a daily basis. And so he, during that transition, he fell onto the floor. And sometimes you see that, that on those home video shows, and it's kind of funny, but this was not funny. It took him two hours to crawl from where he had he landed to the desk where he could pull down the phone, and um, at this point he was lying in a puddle of his own urine. And he got the phone down, and you would think he would call 911. It's only three buttons, right? But no, he tries to call Mark, who is, this is before there was a lot of available cable internet, and Mark was apparently using his dial-up to look at some internet pornography, and so he could not get through. And so he called... Pam says, Pam, I'm on the floor, get Mark and help. And she says, okay, George, we'll, we'll get help. Hung up the phone and dialed 911, then went over to Mark's house, had him put on some pants, and then they went to the, to the, the facility where the, the, the paramedics had, had been there, they'd broken into the front door, and they, they run back to the office, and there's George on his chair. It's, I guess the paramedic got there and found George on the floor and said, Jesus, we better get you to the hospital. And George said, mm, just put me back on the chair. It's where I want to die, or something like that. And so the paramedics had come, but still George was there. But the fall hurt him badly, and he realized that he needed to go to the hospital for the drugs. And so he finally agreed to be shipped back off to Massachusetts, where his wife would take over, admit him to the hospital. He gets into the hospital. He did not have spinal cancer. He had a staph infection that had he gone to the hospital two months ago, could have probably been easily treated. But instead he needed bone grafts from his hips to his vertebrae and he needed to wear a halo where they screw that stuff right into your skull and then you can't move your head. For three months he had to, to wear this. And he, he did recover entirely, he was fine. But we were held captive by this man's insanity and stubbornness. For what we are. And, there, there is a, a little bit of an epilogue to this story, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm getting long here. So if you see me walking around somewhere and you want to know, ask me, I'll tell you. But uh, <laughs> let, me, let me leave you with two pieces of advice. If ever you, you get to the point where moving from, from one chair to another becomes a matter of life or death, and that is a new situation for you, go to the hospital. And, <laughs> Try not to put your subordinates in that kind of predicament because they might end up telling everybody right here. It's good storytelling. Okay, so before we get into it with Kevin, we want to thank Golden West, which is a Southwestern vegan forward restaurant on the avenue that has been doing a great job during COVID feeding people and keeping their employees and customers safe. And we want to thank Baltimore Magazine, which has been a great sponsor of the podcast. You can find them on the newsstand, online, and um, check out all their latest reporting on everything in Baltimore. Okay, so Kevin. Yes. Hello. <laughs> okay, well, the first thing I want to ask is, has to do with the last part of the story where you say, I don't yeah. have enough time. Well, yeah, what, what, what was that? The but there's a little epilogue. If you see me in the lobby, you know, I'll tell you. So what was it? How many people saw you in the lobby and came up and asked you, like, just dish on that, would you? 
Well, I, um, I think that I actually said that if you see me walking around somewhere, not just it wasn't it wasn't just the lobby. Oh, but, okay. But, um, but the, the statute <laughs> of limitations has long expired on that offer. So I'm okay. But, uh, but honestly, I am I I, I have ch chosen not to publicly discuss that portion of the story, just because it's a, a little too personal. It, it answered some questions as to why everything happened. And ah. I mean, I had, I had, up until the moment I went on to tell that story, I had a, um, some serious internal deliberation about whether it was ethical at all for me to be yeah. telling this story. This was about a person that was still alive, someone that I hadn't talked to. I didn't, he didn't know that I was going to be telling this story. He, it was, it seemed like somewhat of a, a shaming situation in, in some regards. And I didn't change his name. George is his real name. So, um, but you know, it was so such an abusive situation. It, I ended up feeling, at least, that that it was it's justified. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, when you are yeah on roles and responsibilities does not include, I would assume, cleaning testicles in the yeah, employee is, shower. So, absolutely, was not part of my job description. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting because the story is funny. But it, I guess it in a way belies the question, like, could you have said no? Like, or did you feel like the power dynamics of the office, the hierarchy, your desire to keep your job were all on the line? All of that. And at the same time, you, just, you, do, you don't want someone in that position, even though it was, it was that power dynamic was off. You can't, it's, it's very difficult to see someone suffering in yeah. such a way and, and so the story yes the story i told the story and, and it was it's a humorous story to hear it and it's it's now it, but living that it was not quite as funny after i told that story and sort of made its rounds a bit and some of my colleagues at the time would call me up and say kevin i just heard that's your story and oh my god it's it's just it's why are you traumatizing us like this it, uh, <laughs> you know it's wow. it's it's um, the funniest part is the most terrifying part that every single piece of that is was absolutely true. A lot of people have said to me, that can't be a true, that must be made up. You, this, this can't be an actual story. This can't have actually happened. And every single part of it was 100% true. <laughs> and how old were you at the time? You were in your 20s, right? When you were working there? Oh, Jessica. Um, <laughs> That, I guess I was, uh, yes, late 20s, early 30s. And every, mainly like everyone that was, and he was older. So everyone yes. that was supporting him was definitely a subordinate and younger. Yes, right? he, was, he was the person, he was all, he was everyone's boss. He was the person that, because we had been, that, that company had been sold to another company and he was the person that was there to, to uh, lead the operation. Yeah, and it was again. It was it, this was a, a remote situation. So there, he, the people that he worked for from this parent company, they were far away. So did everybody that you knew at the office felt the same? Like this was abusive, but also he was suffering. So it's like you're you're really really torn on how to behave in this situation. Absolutely, that's um, and and again we, you can't. There the choice is either either leave him there to suffer or assist. And 
you, you just you there's no way to not help someone that's in such a predicament yeah God, and how long, so you had worked there for a while right yes this is a, i guess i had worked there for a couple three two three years at that point yeah yeah, so you were invested and it would have been like hard to just walk away from the job altogether. And that's just not in your, like, that's just not how you operate anyway. It's true. That's true. I, I'm, I'm dedicated, Jessica. <laughs> Except you did walk away from Jessica or one of you guys walked away from each other. But anyway, yeah, we can- That's true. We, we can mine that vein a little later. Um, <laughs> you know what's really weirding me out though? Your voice sounds really similar to Jessica's current husband, Aaron Hankins' voice. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it's weird because in a way, he doesn't sound like the typical tyrant, like powerful boss, like, because you described him as kind of boisterous and like loud, but more like a, you know, like a puppy loud than like a, you know, than shouting people down. And yet, it's like he had the power and privilege of being completely unaware or uninterested in what the effect of his decision making was on on all y'all, you know? Yes, that that is that is true. I mean, that's power um, and privilege is to be like I'm going to go ahead and do what I I don't even have to think about no. how this affects you. Correct. That is that is exactly what was happening. And so now you're CFO of a, of a company that has employees that are roughly the same age as you were around the time that you were take this story was taking place in your life. Do you ever think about like, how does that inform your leadership? <laughs> let's, well, just first, I, I, let's just first <laughs> confirm you're not living at the store or the office <laughs> right now, are you? I am not living there. I have... Uh, I've only spent one night there in my entire life, and that was during a hurricane. Okay, so, that is correct. I do not I do not live there. No one no one is is caring for me, and <laughs> I, it definitely has in, in, um, instilled a. I, I I like to exhibit servant leadership, in because of the, because of George in a lot of ways. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I say, like say more about into the that. trenches with everyone. Okay, I, I mean right. I, I like to be working with everyone. I don't, I'm the CFO, but I do so many other things. Every day of the week, I am pushing a cart of product up the hill from our storage area in our headquarters up to the restaurant, for example. I'm in there working with everybody hands-on every day in, in, some, in some regard. And that, um, I think that's very important. And how you've been there for a long time now, right? I have been at the Conscious Corner for 16 years now. Wow. Yes. Well, tell, tell people who don't know what it is, what it is. Okay. So we, um, we are located in Clarksville and only Maryland. We have Roots Market, which is the, the best and most vegan-centric full-service grocery store anywhere around. We have Great Sage, our award-winning restaurant. Nest is, is our gift in apparel shop and we have a partner store called red which provides beer and wine during these troubling times Interesting. that's that, that's what we do it's a it's a it's an amazing place to work i'm so fortunate to have found those folks all those years i'm the cfo but i have i've never even one time taken an accounting class in my life 
when, so, what, when, so how do you know how to do your figuring? Well, <laughs> I, le- I learned I learned on the job mostly. I did. I mean, j- the figuring in general, general counting and such. I learned back when Jessica and I used to work at Mike's Wholesale Bait Service because we used to count worms <laughs> oh, together. God, I want, That's where I, I got want, my start. We need um, that story. But it's a. But, but when I when I applied for the job all those years ago, I I was I had um. I was uh, I was on severance from the another company had purchased the company that George had worked for and I was I was on this long severance period which was the most amazing period of my life. Well, the, and tell uh, can I say how you were making your money during this time? Jessica, you can say anything that you would like. <laughs> So the way, while you were on severance and you were on unemployment, first time you were ever like unemployed since since high school, because you worked at APET throughout high school. That is, you, um, that is true. <laughs> you. I just, uh, I just I just started talking to some folks from APET just just a few weeks ago. <laughs> FYI. So, so you you took you took um, for whatever reason you decided that the way that you were going to make money was by collecting and selling magic the gathering cards which is like um like a, oh my a pre- goodness. precursor yes, to like- i know what it is <laughs> well those who don't it's like um it's kind of, it's like a precursor to pokemon like you know there were these rare it was a game that you played with cards um very fantasy oriented kind of like adjacent dungeons and dragons adjacent i guess and um you you would go to like 11 year old boys house with their moms present and like do a deal (laughs) (laughs) like and and then you you had i remember you had binders full of these cards and this is is all yes (laughs) you did yeah anyway and you made like thousands of dollars you made a lot of money. Is, well, yes, and and it's you say that you said it played in the past tense. It's a game. It is a, it is a very it's a wildly popular game still today. Right. And as sure. I yeah. as I am speaking to you, I am currently right now. If I look around, I am surrounded by probably fifty thousand magic cards at this oh very moment. Oh my god! That is god. no joke. <laughs> Are you still trading them? Yes, absolutely. Is it, okay. Jessica? You are. That that you, I was with. We were living together when that first happened. When that, that first came into my life, the uh, Magic the Gathering. Um, yeah, because yeah, you would go down. Anyway, sorry, we could go down this um, memory <laughs> lane. But I, yeah, I remember that in like Ellicott City, right? Is that where the? Yes, that yeah, yes. That for, I, I don't that you you worked in Ellicott City, and I would go and visit you, and then walk up the street to that little store. I don't, I don't know what it's become now. It was a theater as well, and on the corner there in Ellicott City. This is all just too cute and weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Anyway. I so okay let me ask you this and you may not maybe this will be part of what you don't want to talk about with regard to the George situation but did he ever come back like once he recovered and returned to the office how was he different how were you all different he yes, never he, did. He, so he, no, he, he never came back to the office. The, the, that portion of the epilogue, the epilogue started with him calling. Once he was fully recovered, he called one day while I was working and said, Kevin, I need you. I, you know, again, we're, we're at work. We're, doing, we're trying to, to run this business that in, in, we don't have that many employees. It's a very it was a small business and it's, there was a lot of work to be done. 
he, would, he said, I need you to gather a, a group of people, a group of employees and go to my apartment and I'm, I'm giving up that lease. So I need you to take all of my things back from the apartment and put it in your warehouse and clean out my apartment. Oh, oh my God. Again, just like just a continuation of, of that inappropriate request that he would constantly make. And um, that, so the details of that, that, that's the epilogue. And again, we're not going to get into that publicly. But you did do that or you guys didn't yes, do that? Yes, yes, we did. Of course we did that. Oh my God. I did, you I saw did that. all his personal belongings. And that's crazy. That's crazy. There wow. were, we, we discovered some answers. <laughs> oh, God damn. Can't you tell us? Again, if you see me walking around on the streets somewhere, maybe. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. And I do understand. <laughs> I do understand how you would be having those conflicting feelings right before sharing this story because, you know, you, just, you don't want to be a bully. You don't want to be someone who just talks about someone who can't defend themselves, you know, but, but I think the like the abuse of the situation and the absurdity of it and the, and just God, he, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's halfway possible that if he heard the story, he wouldn't be offended. You you are, you are, that is possible, certainly, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But but really right up, right up until the moment I went, I walked on stage. I was, I was not entirely sure I was doing the right thing. Speaking of, of that going on stage, I can can, um, can I talk a bit about the the experience itself? Of, yeah, of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Go for it. <laughs> so it was a terrifying and exhilarating experience for me. I it's, it was so far out of my my comfort zone. It's not something that I w- I'd ever really done. I've never done anything quite like, and I haven't really since. And uh, t- typically when someone tells a stupid story, they said they have an, an idea and they send you, you to a, a, um, a synopsis and you look it over and you, you talk to them about it and you say, that sounds good. We'll put you in, maybe we'll, we'll pencil you into this show or whatnot. Is that how it happens? That's how I remember it happening. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, we, we do. We have one coaching session. Did you come to like right. uh, work? Well, okay. I, I did, but, the, but my, my situation was slightly different because about three weeks before the actual event, like just, just three weeks before this event was happening, <laughs> I got a phone call from my friend Jessica. And yes. Jessica says, says, Kevin, hi, it's Jessica. We have a stoop event happening in three weeks or two and a half weeks. We need another storyteller and it's going to be you. And <laughs> I, was I like, believe it. Well, Atta girl, yeah, girl. Like, <laughs> I said, what, what is this? What is it even about? And you said, well, it's about work. And so Jessica and I had, had worked together in a lot, in a number of interesting scenarios. So I, I imagine you figured we, I had something to say on the topic, but yes. I, so there's, but my whole life, I've, I've never been able to say no to Jessica. So this is like the, the reason, the whole reason that I told this story was was because Jessica is a bully, but the um, oh. so basically she I, just she just replicated the trauma of yeah. that George did for you. Yes, I mean, you know, she was absolutely. George, you know, again, 
She was. She made Thanks, you wash Jessica. her testicles, didn't she? <laughs> well, again, we'll talk about that a little later. But the. Um... <laughs> <laughs> only, only right after I get them waxed because they, uh, they're very tender anyway <laughs> so I if I recall correctly I think when we I remembered talking with her and hearing a little bit about this bait farm that you worked at and thinking that you would yes I assumed that's what you were going to talk about yeah. That, and that's what I imagined she thought yeah, that I would talk absolutely. about as well. Yeah. Yep, that's what I thought. And there are plen yeah. plenty of sto stories about the, the, um, the bait farm. That, uh, <laughs> but that is, yeah, oh maybe that's another stoop story down the road. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the also, I'll tell you another little, another something else I remember very distinctly about telling the story where, uh, or about the, the event in itself. My, my parents were in there and my sister, they were all in the audience and my parents had, they had purchased these tickets long before. I, was, I wasn't even going to tell them that I was going to be there. And, but a few days before, Jesse, you told them, yeah. I think that my, maybe my father was your, your kid's pediatrician. Yes, pediatrician yes. Yeah. And the, and the, he said, we're going to see you with the stoop. And you said, oh, you'll see Kevin telling his story. And they said, what? <laughs> so, oh, my God. And, and but then my father called me that night and said, you're, what you, you're telling a story there? And so he was, he was excited about that. But we were, we were uh, to the night of the event. I have, you had me going on right before intermission. It, yes. Immediately, immediately after the, 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 some of the strongest performers that, that, I, um, that you had, uh, Megan Shutt and Jim Meyer, who's a professional comedian. You had me going on right after him. And, you know, and I didn't tell my parents what it was that I was going to talk. I didn't, they didn't tell them anything about it. And, and so after, so I told the story and went back into the lobby during intermission. Uh, and I saw my father there and he walked up to me and I, I will never forget the look in his eyes. He was just sort of staring at me in, in awe because um, I had I had not somehow not blown it, and it was, it was it was the first time in my entire life that my father was was proud or impressed by something that I had done. So, I, I, thank oh you, my, thank you really? both for giving me the, that that the uh, the experience of parental oh recognition once in my life. That is yeah. not true. Your oh. father adores you. Oh my God, that is. So it is a hundred percent true. I think I'm a loser. But, um, <laughs> well, then he went on to share a soup story. I remember he that. Did. He, he did. He did. Everyone should listen to that. Ken Hoffman's story is also quite good. Not as funny. but um, <laughs> Yes. No, you were, I mean, it's so interesting to hear how nervous you were or how, how whatever the word yeah. is, um, unsure, because it's so funny and it's so well told and and in and it's the best kind of funny because it's these these details that are true and they're just so strange they could only be true so you it was the pleasure of how surreal this thing was but I never once did I and I don't think anyone in the audience think you're making this up because it's it's just too weird to make up you know yeah, it's, yeah it, I, I do it, it is it would be it, it would, it's too absurd 
to have made something like that up. But yes, I was clearly very, again, it was out of, out of my realms entirely. I didn't, I didn't want to, I, had, I was there against my will, Jessica. And, <laughs> yes, but you know what? That is how we got a lot of our storytellers early on. <laughs> Jessica's ex-boyfriends just... were recruited. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so, I, am, I mean, I could not be, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you had me on to do that. It's a, it was a defining moment in my life. Um, and I did that. So oh my God. thank you very much. Seriously. Well, it, I was so proud of you. And it was, I mean, I just was, I, yeah, we were laughing so hard. You took, yeah, you knocked it out of the park. It was great. And I knew you would though. So that's the thing. I knew you would. Well, and just the weird, like the way, the weirdness of offices, how office people can be like families and in all the dysfunctional ways. And, you know, it, it, it has flavors of the office. You know, it it yes. just is, um, yeah, it's, anyway, do you like being a boss? Uh, um, I, I don't even really think of myself as a boss, honestly. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think of myself as just, it's just uh, one amongst uh, many colleagues. Yeah. Doing important work for the, for that, the important work that we do for the community. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it you, the work that you do now is very much in line with your with your ethos around you know animal um, advocacy and being vegan and all of that. So it's nice to yes, see that you found that as opposed to yes, it's a, yeah the the bait farm, but the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. bait farm or or you know t t researching for infectious diseases, which I would imagine would yes. have some amount of animal research in it potentially it, it is it is true and that's um what one uh, one of the things that we did at that facility was uh we manufactured mouse serum which is um you you, you that we have a, we had a colony of of poor mice there and they would be injected with a sarcoma virus or something into their abdominal cavity and they would produce ascites and then that, that would be with, that would be removed via giant needle. And I, I never dealt with the mice themselves, but I would deal with a finished product where you'd have hundreds of liters of this stuff and I would, I would have to um, purify it. And so that, that's always weighed on me that I was participating in that. Wow. Well, and, and now, can, I, can now, we so talk about, yes. yeah. So Kevin, so how many, can you talk about your pet situation at home? Who do you have at well, home? Let's, let's talk about your dog. My dog, I have a, we have a dog named Annie, and she is yep. a monster. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a rescue, a terrible though. Creature. We love her. She's a yep. rescued miniature pincher. Yep. And we, we knew nothing about that, that breed of dog when we just saw this cute dog on the internet, and Amy and I said, we could get that dog, and went and, and picked her. We, we just, we met that, we, we took her after meeting her one time, and the first thing that happened when we met her we sat on the sofa, Annie jumped up in, into Amy's lap. Then I sat down next to her and Annie spent the next five minutes growling at me. And then who else do you have in your house? So, and then in addition to Annie, we have currently 19 rescued wild mice that I care for. <laughs> oh 
my God. So you're doing penance. You're doing penance. And they are. But when you say wild mice, they're just the mice that, like, the mice that, like, women back in the 50s would, like, hit with a broom. You have created a, a, like, a a Shangri-La. Yeah, it's a a sanctuary for wild mice in our our laundry, laundry room. I am. Yes, and they have an Instagram account, right? Well, no, you can you can come see them on my Instagram account. Go go vegan, oh, please. Okay. You can see, you can see all of the mice there. Are, and your are, habitat, you created various like mansions and things like that for them. Right? Yes, they. I like to make sure they are having a, a fantastic life. <laughs> these these creatures. It's a, yes, they're not. I've, I've spent the last seven years doing this. <laughs> I think I've had in my care. 50 mice people know that i take care of mice and they'll find mice and they'll and they'll raise these mice from from tiny babies and bring them to me and then i care for them for the rest of their lives i'm and so struck by how this time in this particular office doing the work you did with the people <laughs> you did really shaped like it pointed you in the opposite direction i mean it really shaped your life it it, it certainly did And I remember being in, we would have strategic planning meetings and such, and I would always be voicing my opposition to the the mouse program in in general, and eventually it went away. Um, But yes, this definitely this all of these things have had quite an effect on my life in general. Wow! Wow! God! And it's all because of Jessica. It is. Everything, everything goes back to Jessica. Do you it know, really does. <laughs> For a while. Can, you, can I tell you? Can, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you can share your story. I was going to say every subsequent boy, girlfriend after me, I introduced you to for a while. Do you remember that? That is true. Yes. And we, we even <laughs> lived together. You, I, you and I would live together with, I had, I had a new girlfriend, you had a new boyfriend. We'd still all live together. But the, but can I, I will tell the, a story about the very beginning and the very end of our romantic entanglement. Yes, yes, please, yes. Uh, I, I knew I knew Jessica in high school, but only peripherally. I we had some some friends in common, and we went to different different schools. I did, but Jessica worked at Tower Records, and I was there most every weekend. And I knew that she was this person that was um, that someone I, I wanted to, to know better but never did in high school. And then I went to Goucher College for a year and then transferred to UMBC. And I think it was my, I think it was the end of my sophomore year or the beginning of the junior year. One day I was rushing to class and I saw this person who on an exterior payphone, which you don't see those very much anymore. And (laughs) these long long reddish hair. And I, I swear that's Jessica Miles. That's just Miles is Jessica's. That's your maiden name. Yeah. And and I um, but it was I was late and she was on the phone, so I couldn't stop and talk. But I couldn't. It, so then I went home for that that weekend to my parents' house, and I was I remember just thinking about that moment and thinking that I I need to talk to this person. So I, I recruited my sister Lara to. This is before there was any internet at all. We, we got the um, we got the Annapolis phone book out, and I made her help me go through and call every person named Miles in the phone book, asking for Jessica. Oh my and, god! But, but it was it was a fruitless endeavor because I'm too I was 
too stupid to realize that miles might be spelled differently than m-i-l-e-s so I, uh, oh my god and there'd be work. so many fewer m-y-l-e-s yes I mean, there's the a truth. lot of it was a lot it was it was a whole friday night i remember oh my I, god. but i don't i don't know how we actually met up that was not how but i clearly remember that that doing that and then let's let's skip forward a few years yeah. to uh, we were uh, we, you and I were living together with um, <clears throat> with a roommate in Catonsville. Oh. Uh, Who uh, was the future mayor of Annapolis? Was, yes, if, exactly. Is there <laughs> Josh Cohen? We were we were living together with Josh, and I remember one evening, Josh and I were sitting on the sofa playing Tony Larusa baseball on our Sega Genesis, and. <laughs> Jessica walks into the department and says, Kevin, we need to talk. And I said, ah, oh, fuck, right now? And Josh paused the game. And we, so Jessica and I went into the, into the bedroom. And I remember sitting on the bed and, and you said, this clearly isn't working. This, we, we need to, to uh, end this relationship as it is. And I said, I agree. And you, I remember you were crying. And I, I would never cry, but the, um, <laughs> the, the, but we were sitting and I remember sitting there for probably five minutes, just sort of looking at each other. And then I said, okay, can I please go finish my baseball game now? Oh and, my God. <laughs> and so, and soon, but soon, not that long after that, Jessica's new boyfriend moved in. This, my, this is my apartment. I, it was, a, my, my name was on the lease. This was Jessica's new boyfriend moved into our bedroom and they kicked me out into the living room onto this, this sort of foam fold out sofa thing. Oh my, my lord! When I went off to college at first. No, it wasn't and the foam. No, it wasn't the foam. Yes, it was. No, no, it was the black uh, couch that we got that, from your grandma's house that had a those, pull out. Those were both in that room. <laughs> Or my grandma's house. That's that's true. And then, but I would get calls when I, I was working at Mike's bait service at that moment. I would get calls in the middle of the day from Jessica saying, "Kevin, you need to come back to the apartment after work. My my boyfriend freaked out and he broke all your stuff. You need to help me trash the apartment." And so I would come. wait. What? Of course, I can't say no to Jessica. So I would come help her fix all the damage that was caused in my apartment by her oh, new boyfriend. By my terrible yeah, anyway. new boyfriend. Anyway, it was a bad decision. <laughs> and that is the truth. That is the beginning. That was the beginning and end of our, of our relationship. Wow. Not our friendship, but not our friendship. No, no, no we that's, have stayed friend all these friends all these years. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Miraculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Very interesting. So, you know, Jessica asking you to come back to your apartment where you've been evicted from your room to help clean mm -hmm. up the mess from her mm -hmm. new boyfriend. I'm just, you know what? It's George. Yeah. She's George. It's, it is. I am. I am. He is George. <laughs> this is, I've solved this for you, Kevin. I've connected all these dots. Yeah. Jessica, I think maybe we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> Changed so much, though. That was that was that was me before SSRIs. I think that's a significant uh, thing that to point out. I've never comported myself in such a way since being on SSRIs. 
<laughs> oh my god that's hilarious well this this has been so fun this is really everything about it listening to your story hearing you talk about what it was like to share the story hearing you walk down memory lane with george slash jessica um all of it has really been great and i you know i really hope i do bump into you on the street and i can you can whisper the epilogue to me because I'm I can I can't even imagine. Yeah, let's let's make that happen. All right, we'll, yes. We'll do it. But th but th thank you you both for allowing me to have contributed to, to the uh, arc of the Stoop storytelling story oh, itself. Oh man, <laughs> I think we need to have you back though. We need to, We need a bait farm story. Oh yeah, and. It would, yes, I, I want to hear that story. That sounds like all kinds of crazy to me. Okay, I'll start, so, I'll, I'll, I'll start working on that for you right now. Yeah, maybe we could, yeah, we have to think of a theme for that. Maybe like dirty jobs or some version of that, but oh, good Lord. Sitting in my corner, don't know what to think, I can't speak. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we get out of here, we want to thank the Wine Source, which is on Elm Avenue in Hamden. They're a great sponsor of the podcast, and they have all kinds of good drinks and food to get you through this difficult time. We want to thank Maureen Harvey, who produces the Soup podcast, and we want to let you know that you can visit soupstorytelling.com to check out our upcoming fall shows. Um, we have a show coming up in just a few weeks, uh, September 22nd. It's a virtual show, so you, you can watch it from anywhere. And the theme is of substance, stories about our complicated relationships with alcohol and drugs. So it's stories about using alcohol and drugs and abusing them. And it's, uh, the stories range from the really funny to the really, really difficult. Um, and then we have shows in October and November as well. So check us out at scoopstorytelling.com. And thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you both.